You go with me to the book of Luke. We'll be in chapter three, verses one through six. And there's a bunch of names that I, even though I went to seminary, I can't say them all very well. And here's a trick. If there are complicated names in the scripture, if you say them fast enough, people think you know what you're talking about. Which benefits me because I talk really fast. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesarea, or Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judah, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Ithera, and I didn't say it fast enough. See, I messed up there. Of Trachontus and Licinius, tetrarch of Albine, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. He went into all the country around Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As it is written in the book of the words of the Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling into the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight paths for him. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth. And all people will see God's salvation. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. And together we say, thanks be to God. We are in the second week of Advent. And there's a little echoey thing coming through. Sorry if it's a little loud. We'll just bring that down just a little bit. Um, In this last, last week, we talked about hope. This week, we're thinking about peace and what that means for us. How do we understand that? What is peace? How do we find peace? And why do we think that peace, this is kind of where I'm going today, why do we think peace is somehow intrinsically tied to certainty? During this series, we're looking at Advent through art. We're using art pieces to help us think about how we understand the scripture and this theme and this day. And we're going to I'm going to leave the piece up every week. I just leave it up. And then I'm going to talk about it later on. But I just want us to sit with us, us to see it, us to, it to be there with us. All right. I'm thankful for Blake. I really encourage you to go check out his sermon on the podcast. It's being recorded. And so then I'll upload the podcast um, tomorrow. And so please go check that out. And, um, and I'm excited. So are you ready to dive in? Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your word. May it always be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. And all God's people said? Amen. All right, we're together. I feel it, all right? Yeah, I heard this story once about a guy, and I don't know his name, we'll just call him Ricky, all right? I named him Ricky. Ricky was dating this girl named Jill, and Ricky and Jill had been together for a while, you know, probably about a year. They met online, and they were at a place in their relationship, a point in their relationship, where the flame had just kind of gone out. It wasn't as exciting. They weren't doing all sorts of new things anymore. The chief, uh, neither was the chief object of each other's desire. They were just kind of together. When they went out on dates, they just looked at their phone, and they would always go eat at the same Chinese place, and then they'd hang out, and they'd go their separate ways, and there just wasn't like a whole lot of spark anymore. It had kind of, you know, seemed to have run its course, but neither was willing to take the initiative to make a long-term commitment, you know, to, to marry and also the other, neither was, was willing to break up. Nobody wanted to make this big decision. They're probably both nines on the Enneagram. That's an, if you know what the Enneagram is, that's the peacemaker. They don't like making decisions. So my wife is a nine and I love her very much. One day Ricky was on cars.com and he was looking at trucks 
which is ironic because it's cars.com, but he's looking at trucks. He'd been scrolling through page after page and he's kind of gotten bored because none of the trucks seemed to you know, meet his fancy. They were either too expensive, they're the wrong model, they're the wrong color. It didn't have the bucket seats. It didn't have the right lift kit. I mean, he just couldn't find the exact truck. And so he got bored and he decided, you know what? I'm certain that this relationship with Jill has run its course. So I'm just gonna pull up my old online dating profile and just, just to see, you know, just, just to see. And so he pulls up Bill's online dating profile and, and there's this anonymous post from a girl looking um, for a date. There's no name or no photo. It was just, it was just this anonymous post. And it, and it says on there that she, she wasn't really into yoga. She, did, she really liked intelligent conversations. She loved long walks on the beach, especially late at night. And after a few other details about like the kind of drink she likes and, and the things she likes to do, she really likes also rain showers, just random rain showers. And Ricky was like, man, th- this girl sounds amazing. And so he convinced himself, well, Jill and I are, are certainly done. I'm certain our relationship is over. We're pretty much broken up. We just haven't officially done it yet. We barely talk anymore. We look at our phones on dates. I'm certain it's over. So I'll just send this girl a message and see what happens. And he thought, you know, if it goes well, then, you know, if it, if it turns out she's cool, then I'll break up with Jill. If not, maybe we'll just get married. All right, we'll just, this will be like the test, all right? And so he sends this girl a message and he feels a little guilty about it, but not really. And he says to her, he says, um, hey, you know, I like that same drink you like too. And, and I really don't care about health foods. And, and, and I, um, I want to know if you want to meet up tomorrow at like a bar, it's called O'Malley's. And maybe we'll, We'll get together and we'll talk about the future, maybe even plan our escape. <laughs> so he sends, he sends this message to her and he doesn't tell him her, his name either. And, they're, and, they're, and they're, you know, he's excited about it, but he never hears anything back. He says, you know, I'm gonna go to O'Malley's anyway. And so he shows up early and he waits as people walk through the door and he doesn't know what she looks like. He doesn't know her name. He has to guess if it's her. But then all of a sudden, this beautiful girl walks through the door and he knows in an instant by the smile of her face. And she sees him and she says, oh, it's you. Turns out the girl was Jill all along. Jill and and Ricky, they sit down, they laugh. And he said, I never knew that you liked pina coladas (laughs) or getting caught in the rain, that you're not into health food and that you have half a brain. Most of you, many of you probably know where that story comes from. It's from a song from the 80s, which was written before I was born, just by the way, just <laughs> 70s, wow, yeah. definitely before I was born. And um, the song's called The Escape or the Pina Colada Song, and um, I was telling Brianna, I think I'll start my sermon this way, she goes, I never knew that's what that song was about. <laughs> She's like, I never listened to the verses, I didn't, you know, it's a, it's a song about two people who, you know, have kind of, they're, they're certain that they know everything they need to know, they're going to go their opposite ways, they both try to figure something else out, and they end up coming back together, and they learn so much about each other. They laugh, they, they tell, they're like, oh, I did not know all these things about you. This, um, this story is relatable to us, and I think um, we can appreciate it because we often get trapped in the short-sightedness of certainty. We often are quick to decide we know all that we need to know. We have figured it out, and we are certain about this thing. Ricky and Jill were certain about each other only to realize that their perspectives were limited and that there was so much more to the other person than they knew. And once again, you might be thinking, you know, what are we talking about? Last week we were talking about swings and the end of the world. Today we're talking about songs from the 70s. And, and I promise, I've got a plan. 
I've got somewhere for us to go. There's a method to this madness. And speaking of madness, do you know um, who John the Baptist is? Have you ever heard stories about this guy? So our text today from Luke is, is small. It's a small selection. The lectionary offers it to us. And, and it gives us just kind of a brief picture. But there's more about John the Baptist that some of the other gospels tell us. Old, old John, you know, or JB, as his friends like to call him, JTB, he would, um, he sustained himself. This is, we, get this, all right. He used to wear camel skin, live in the woods. For food, he ate bugs and honey. And then he would preach about some awesome savior Messiah who's gonna bring down the evil empire and that everything in the world will be restored. And it's just this, like this kind of madman. If we saw this guy today, we think this guy is crazy. I mean, just hair disheveled everywhere. I wanted to do my hair that way this morning, but then I put my gel in and it looked good. So I was like, no, I'll leave it. And, um, but John the Baptist, he, he, he was just, just this, this crazy person in the middle of the wilderness, just spouting all sorts of seeming nonsense. He really, you know, if, if, just imagine if you were to walk out to hunting camp, you know, or if you walk out into the woods behind your house, or if you'd walk out into wherever, and there's just a dude there and a crowd gathered around him. Like, this is what the picture is. And he's just saying, hey, everybody, you're all sinners. You need to repent. All right, now let's eat some locusts, all right? Anybody got an extra helping for locusts for me? That's, that is what this scripture is. And so Luke gives us this version. It's very short. And he's helping us realize the connection between John the Baptist and Isaiah. So that John the Baptist was not some random coincidence. John the Baptist was prophesied about hundreds of years before his birth. He tells us um, that John the Baptist is out in the wilderness and he takes this little aside in the narration, Luke that is, to say, um, to say, you know, there will be one to come. People try to tell you, you remember the, the prophets, they told you, there will be one to come who will be bringing, crying out in the wilderness to prepare the way for the Lord, to make straight paths for him. Every valley will be filled in. Every mountain and hill be made low. The crooked road shall become straight, the rough ways smooth, and all people will see God's salvation. That was John's message. He, he was quoting Isaiah. The funny thing is, all the people heard him saying that there's somebody else coming, and he kept on saying there's somebody else coming, but they wanted to give him all the glory. Elsewhere in the Gospels, it tells us that they were trying to worship him, to praise him. And John the Baptist says, no, no, no. There's somebody coming after me that's even greater than I am, and I'm not even worthy to tie his sandal. I mean, that's humility. I can't say, you know, that I can promise that I would do that. If like everybody's like, you're amazing, you're the best, here are these gifts, here are these presents, here, you're so wonderful. And I'm like, yeah, I am, right? John's like, no, there is somebody, I'm just the messenger, I'm just the pointer towards the one who is to come. And that's why I have this art piece up there today. This might seem like a strange art piece for Advent because it's depicting the crucifixion and kind of Lent and and all the things that are to come. There's no baby here. There's no manger scene. There's no wise men. And this is um, Matthias Gruenwald's Eisenheim altarpiece. And it's this altarpiece you can find in France. It's humongous. It's multi-paneled. So this is just part of it. If you close it, you'll see different parts of the story. But this is the most famous part of it because of the crucifixion. But the painting is not even the part that I love the most. There's a story about this painting that I really love. 
there was a German theologian, his name was Karl Barth. And the first time I ever really wrestled with any theology, like in a serious way, was whenever I was an undergrad at Huntington College and I had this class all on the theology of Karl Barth. And the professor, Dr. Buckner, started this class by helping us learn more about who Karl Barth was. And um, you know, he ended up being this prolific theologian, probably the most influential of the 20th century. It's not that everybody agreed with him, it's just his work was, was so impactful that people were either disagreeing with it or agreeing with it. Still today, the academies are struggling with and working through the theology of Karl Barth. This guy was just this you know, huge presence in the world of theology. And so naturally, you know, he could let it go to his head. He, you know, he's like, I'm a big deal. Hey, everybody, come see how big of a deal I am. Like, I'm just this awesome theologian. But what the story goes, and, and I believe it's true because it's been accounted for in a couple of different sources, he had a, um, a small version of this hanging above his desk, the desk in which he wrote every single one of his works, all of these massively impactful theological works. He had this painting above his desk, and he said he had it there for a reason. The reason was to remind him that he was not Jesus on the cross, that he was not God, and that everything he wanted his life to be was just the pointer finger of John the Baptist. That all of who he was was not to be God, but to point people towards God. And so the painting reminded him not only who God was, but what his role in the world was to be. This man who could have taken notoriety and fame and fortune and just been like, look how great of a thinker I am. He says, all I'm doing is just trying to help illumine the person of Christ. I'm just trying to point the way for others to Jesus, to knowing God. I too want to be like John the Baptist pointer finger. I love that story so much. I heard it over a decade ago and it still sticks with me every time I get up here to preach, every time I write a Bible study, every time I go to a small group. I'm always thinking, how do I make sure that I'm not helping people build the church of woods? How do I make sure that I'm not trying to make my presence you know, the biggest thing, but pointing the way towards Christ? That's who I want to be. If, if I am remembered for anything, I pray that it's remembered like John the Baptist pointer finger, like Karl Barth pointing people not towards myself, but towards Christ. But what I found, that's really difficult. It can be really tough. And I don't mean like, oh, my job is so hard, woe is me. For all of us who try to point people towards Christ, it's, it's difficult because of a number of reasons. The first is, people always see what you do more than they hear what you say. And so it's easy for me to come up here every week and preach and tell about the Bible and tell what you should do and talk about love and all these things and tell you to offer forgiveness and be kind. Yet there are plenty of times throughout the week, if you were to just be with me, you'd see, what is not acting very loving? Woods is not acting very kind. Woods is not asking forgiveness. We trip ourselves up because of our own humanity. We're trying to tell people that they should be like Jesus while we ourselves struggle with that very reality. Do we not? People often see what we do more than they hear what we say, and our actions carry weight. And so we are like all messed up sinners in the middle of this world trying to figure out how to be the best Christians while also trying to be evangelical and point people to Christ. And it creates tension, it creates difficulty, and so it puts more onus on us to try to be holy, to live in this life towards wholeness, to try to find completeness and peace. We search for peace so that we can be made whole. But to me, the harder thing and the hardest thing about trying to point people to Christ is the fact that in our world, everybody is looking for the right answer. Everyone is looking for someone to tell them exactly what they should believe and exactly what they should do. Everyone is searching for certainty. 
We all want to be certain because if we're certain, we'll be peaceful. We'll, we'll be comfortable. I know we all have stories about how awesome God is and how God's worked in our lives, and we're very sure and assured of the presence of Jesus. And that's not exactly what I mean. I'm not just talking about our experience of Christ in our life. But if you've never had some confusing moment when trying to read the Bible or trying to explain who God is, if you think you've got it all figured out because you've got your ABCs about what it means to be a Christian and what it means to follow Christ, and this is what the Bible says about all these things, and you've got everything certain and you're perfect, everything, then I'm really suspicious of the God that you follow. And if we have not made our own gods out of our own beliefs. Because the God that I encounter in the scripture and the God that people have been talking about for thousands of years is bigger than what we can imagine, is bigger than what we can be certain about, is bigger than our own human limitations. We'll spend our entire lives and still only know just a glimpse of all that God can be of all that the scriptures are trying to tell us. To point people towards Jesus like John the Baptist is really hard whenever, like when we try to talk about Jesus and there's some difficulties in the text itself, right? Think about this. We just watched this video all about peace. We're talking about peace today. Jesus came to bring peace. There is this prophecy about him being the peace bringer. Paul says that he is our peace. Have you ever read Luke chapter 12? Have you ever read Luke chapter 12, verses 51, 52, and 53? This is Jesus talking to people listening to him, to his disciples. This is Jesus talking. Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, daughter against mother. Jesus just said, I didn't come to bring peace. After earlier, Jesus said, I came to bring peace. If you've never read that and thought, huh, then you're smarter than I am. And you should be up here preaching. Because I read Jesus saying, I am peace, I bring peace. And then I read Jesus saying, I am not peace, I do not bring peace. And I'm like, huh, that's interesting. How about that? What about this? Have you ever noticed that Jesus doesn't give direct answers? How frustrating that is. Jesus, somebody will ask him a question. He'll ask him a question. Instead of giving the answer, he answers it with a story. One time, and this is like classic Jesus example, one time the disciples asked him to explain a parable, asked him to explain a story. So what he did? He told more stories. He told three stories. And listen to this one, right? He says, um, in one of these stories, he says, the kingdom of God is like a merchant who searched for great pearls. When found one of great value, he sold all he had to acquire it. And then the story ends. And that's it. But if you think about this story, It really makes no sense. If a merchant wants something of such great value that he's able to sell all he has in order to acquire it, then the only thing he has left is that thing in which he's purchased. Therefore, he can't afford anything else. So if you give all you can to be rich because of this thing of great value, but you don't have anything to pay for food or shelter, are you really rich? Like if you've acquired this thing that you're so desperate to acquire, yet it does nothing for you to be able to provide sustenance to your life, like what good is it to you? And the only way you get the value of that thing which you've acquired is to sell it for whatever it's worth, receive the value from it, but then you no longer have that thing which you desired. The story makes no sense. It's a great story. It's a great parable, but there's truth that is deep in there that we have to wrestle with and struggle with. It doesn't make sense on first reading or on face value. There's more to it. And so as a pastor, I'm like, hey, let me tell you about this Jesus guy. 
Let me point you, like John the Baptist, towards God. Let me tell you what he's like. Well, it's really hard to understand. It's even harder to follow because some of these realities are too confusing for all of us humans to understand immediately or at first. We've got to work through it your whole life. Try to follow this person. This, you're probably going to fail at following most of the time, but when you do succeed, it's only because you struggle for it, through it for years. And even then, you might only know a fraction of all the things you hope to know. And like, that's what I think of every time I think, I'm trying to point people towards God. That's a really good evangelism strategy, right? Hey, let me tell you about God. Okay, what can you tell me about him? I don't know. Stuff? I'm still figuring it out? And that is so discomforting to us all, is it not? We are a people who love to be certain. And so it's hard to convey these realities of mystery, of meaning beyond existence, if we are so set in searching for certainty if we are so confined to what has to be right today for me, for me to be able to experience life peacefully, then I worry that we might never find true peace. You know, we're all searching for peace. We're all looking. We have all got crazy lives, things going on all the time, things that distract us from the ways we want to be, the things we want to be, the people we want to be. We all feel pulled in a hundred directions with jobs and kids and work and church. And so what we do is we search out places where we can find peace because it feels calm and there's order to the chaos. And so we search for certainty, particularly in our beliefs and the way that we understand God. We look for that. It has to be this way. And we have a hard time whenever we think about the fact that the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God is like a man who goes to a rabbi and says, Rabbi, I want, to, I want to be the smartest there is. I want to be wise. Test me. Test me. And so the rabbi says, fine. Okay, fine, I'll test you. He says, two people come down a chimney. One has soot on their face. One doesn't have soot on their face. Which one has to wash their face? And the young man says, oh, well, the one who has soot on their face. He goes, no, no, no. It's the one who didn't have soot on their face because he sees the guy with soot on his face and he decides to wash his face. And he goes, oh, okay, I got to try me again. Test me again. Test me again. Just ask me a different question. The robot says, fine, okay. All right, two people come down the chimney. One has sit on their face. One doesn't have sit on their face. Which one has to wash their face? He goes, oh, the one who doesn't have sit on their face. He goes, no, the one who has sit on their face. He tasted in his mouth. It's in his eyes. Go away. You, you're not, you don't get it. He goes, no, no, test me one more time. Test me one more time. And the rabbi says, okay, two people go down the chimney. One has sit on their face. One doesn't have sit on their face. Which one should wash their face? And he said, the one who has to sit on their face. He goes, no, they both wash their face. Who goes down a chimney and doesn't expect to get sit on their face? And he sends the man away, and he's so frustrated, and he's wrestling with the very thing all of us wrestle with. Sometimes in life, there's more than one answer. And sometimes with God, we can't know everything we want to. And that is scary. And whenever we're unsure, we are discomforted. And we're discomforted, we feel like we don't have any peace. And so if your goal in coming to church is to find certainty I'm gonna have a hard time giving it to you. But what I can say and what I have experienced is that where I have found God is in the searching, is in the journey, is in the struggle. Every day whenever we're together and we talk about these things, I find God in our fellowship. I learn more about who God is by the way that you speak to me and the way I speak to you and the love we show each other. We don't find God in just getting all the answers we almost find God in the unknowing and in the experiencing. 
Peace does not come just from figuring everything out. I think that's why we're so not at peace. We're so concerned that if doubt enters into our life, that we've done something wrong, that we're not right, that we're so concerned that we don't have anything figured out all the time, and so we can't find peace. I do believe Jesus is the peace, brings the peace, and we can talk about that other scripture some other time. I think there's, there's still a way to read that and still believe Jesus is the peace bringer. And yet, we, we don't find it often because we've already decided who Jesus has to be. And if something else is introduced, if something else is scary, if something else happens, that wrecks our world. And so I invite you in this Advent season to be present with your questions and to be present with this church. To not try to do it on your own, but know that we are here to journey with you. We are here to struggle beside you. And when we come to this table, as we're doing right now, that there is grace and love and forgiveness for all people. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you do bring peace. And we ask for your forgiveness when we fail to recognize it. We ask, Lord, that you help us to see the peace that passes all understanding when we are worried beyond belief. Help us to experience peace in a real way. And forgive us when we have failed to be your obedient church. Free us for joyful obedience to you, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. At this time, I'm going to invite our communion stewards forward. The reason why.